Hello. Um, I work at IT Services with James, who just spoke, and um, I, I run another service, which is actually the wider service called the Education Enhancement Service, but part of that is supporting um, academics and early career researchers here at the university to get their work um, out there through public engagement and knowledge exchange methodologies. A subservice of what we run is actually the crowdsourcing and community collection service. And we developed a model here back in 2008 called the Oxford Community Collection Model, which has been used in quite a number of projects now. Um, so what I'm going to do today is uh, introduce the Oxford Community Collection Model through um, probably our most well-known case study, which is collecting First World War oral histories and artifacts from the crowd, from the general public. Um, and then tell you a bit about how we can help you if you're interested in getting started in a crowdsourcing project, especially if it's around the area of collecting material from the general public, then there is a free service here at the university that can help you do that. But I will start with a story, and there's a number of stories in my presentation. Um, our work actually started 25 years ago. 25 years ago this month, when we published online the first um, online tutorial for teaching English literature, it was a tutorial to teach Isaac Rosenberg's Break of Day in the Trenches, First World War poem. It was very popular. It won some awards. Uh, we were funded by an organisation called the Joint Information Systems Committee to um, do some more digitising First World War stuff. And we chose to digitise all the poetry manuscripts of the famous war poet, Wilfred Owen. And these are held at the English faculty here in Oxford, the British Library, and also in Texas. We digitised them all and brought them all together in an online archive. Everything was made freely available for download for educational use. Ten years later, in 2006, stuff was starting to look a bit tired and we were awarded another grant by JISC to expand the First World War Poetry Digital Archive to include lots of other poets, give it a facelift, um, and also add a lot more contextual resources. So not just stuff about the poetry, but about the context in which it grew out of the war. Now, digitization is a very expensive process, especially when you're digitizing documents from um, national libraries and museums, for example. Um, and we were starting to run out of money when it came to digitizing um, materials from places like the Imperial War Museum, photographs, audio interviews, video. So we decided to throw the problem out to the crowd. Well, people were always coming to us and saying to us, I have this great story that's been handed down from my grandparents about the First World War. I have my um, great uncle's war diary. I have his medals. I have these photographs. Um, what shall I do with them? So we thought, well, Give them to us. Don't give us the physical artifacts, but take a digital photograph of them, put them on a scanner, and upload them to a specially built website. We did it as a pilot project. We ran it over 12 months at the same time as building the First World War Poetry Digital Archive. Um, not 12 months, 12 weeks, sorry. That's quite important. Um, we sent posters out to libraries across the country, like this, the call to attics, bottom drawers, and such, um, asking people to scan what they had at home and upload them to a specially built website. We developed a very simple piece of software where people could add some information about what it was they're uploading, the story behind it, and attach files. It was as simple as that. And then it got approved by an administrator on the back end before it went live. <coughs> we did know, however, that a lot of people who held stuff were not digitally literate. They were the older generations. 
So we held a number of what we called road shows throughout the country, usually in a library or a small museum, whereby we would advertise in the local press that the team from the University of Oxford, all three of us, <laughs> would be there on the day. The library would contribute some volunteers. People would be queuing there at 9am in the morning with their Tesco carrier bags full of artefacts to speak to Oxford about what they had. Um, we would give them some information. Often they didn't really know the background to it. Um, and then our digitisation team would be scanning and photographing the artefacts and then return them to them so they could take them home safely. In just... Um, actually, I'll show you some photographs first. So this is the kind of thing... This is what a roadshow looks like. Often um, libraries use it as a really good way to engage with their communities. So they may have reenactors there to keep the crowds entertained whilst they're waiting in line to talk to us. Um, the local press would come along. Um, there'd be little exhibitions from places like the Western Front Association. Lots of intergenerational activity. Grandparents would come with their grandchildren. And people really loved just sitting around waiting, actually, and talking to each other and sharing their stories before they came to us and we recorded them down. And behind the scenes, we had a very, um, what we call ghetto digitization. It's very cheap. Our digitization studios were very mobile. It's very much based on a digital camera model as opposed to a scanner. If you've got a big queue of people, scanners take too long. If you can imagine putting photographs and going, but with a camera, it's click, 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 click. Um, lots of different types of lighting. We even used like daylight light bulbs and desk lamps to illuminate things properly. And in just 12 weeks, we collected 6,500 items from the public. So we instantly made an archive to enhance the poetry. And it ranged from things such as photographs, um, objects with stories behind them. So here's a tin that saved someone's life with a bit of shrapnel in it. Um, diaries, this one down near the bottom is a stretcher bearer from Gallipoli. Um, official documents. And we, we got many, 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 many photographs. And this one here in the background is actually a very famous First World War photograph of a battalion after a trench raid. It's, it's blown up big in the Imperial War Museum. But someone contributed this to this archive. They had this photograph in their family collection, an actual original photograph, and they had a story about one of the gentlemen in it, which the Imperial War Museum didn't have. After the success of the Great War Archive, um, we were again funded by JISC, who really liked what we were doing with this crowdsourcing thing, to um, build a service based on our experience. And this service would train people in the Oxford Community Collection model, this model of using online engagement with face-to-face -face engagement to build digital collections. Um, we developed training materials, we ran lots of workshops, and we set up a, an advice service, and it proved so popular that we've continued to run this service to this day without central funding from, um, from JISC anymore. It isn't just First World War. We have been, at the moment, we are working with people to collect Anglo-Saxon teaching materials, mark anniversaries of colleges, build a database of European professionals, build a database of European resistors, um, collect stories about the fall of the Berlin Wall, and also folklore about birds from across the globe. So it really does um, stretch many, many different disciplines. But perhaps the most famous um, and well-known case study that we've been working on for the past few years is rolling out the Great War Archive model across Europe. So not just collecting stories from the UK, although we've got ones contributed online from other countries as well. That's the beauty of an online collection. Anyone can add to it. We've been funded by the European Union to um, roll out the model across many different countries in Europe. 
And today we have held 145 collection events um, in 12 different countries. We've had 6,000 visitors through the doors, um, over 2,500 online contributors. Europeana are focusing very much on the road shows as opposed to the online collection. We feel the online contributors could be a lot more. Um, we've had 1,254 media reports in 46 different countries and we have now stretched over 60,000 items from across those countries um, in the archive. Just before Christmas, France held 100 roadshows in one week to mark the centenary of the First World War that's coming up this year, so you know, 100 events for 100 years. So I, I think that figure will be well over 80,000 by now, but we just have to approve them all. Okay. Um, so fascinating as it is, you've got these great big archives full of stuff. Um, I think it's quite reasonable to ask what the meaning and use of all this material is. Yes, it's great. We're preserving it. We're preserving it for future generations. We're putting on show things that have never been seen before. Um, but what kind of value and impact does it actually have? So I'll, show, I'll tell you some more stories. Um, First of all, you never really know where the value and the impact is going to come, and it can come at a very personal level. This is a photograph here, contributed online um, by the nephew of William Gaunt, and he's this gentleman sat here at the front. Um, the photograph had been in his, on his mother's mantelpiece in a frame since William Gaunt died in the Great War in 1917. Um, they'd never taken it out of the frame. They heard about the Great War Archive initiative. They decided to digitise it and post it online at Online Memorial. When they digitised it, they noticed that he'd actually written something in the mud with the stick because they could sort of blow up the photograph. And as you can see here, he zoomed in. I'll just trace around it. It says Emma, and Emma was the name of his wife, and she never knew that he had written his name in the mud when she had this photograph sent to her from the front. So that's, of course, a very personal impact and value to this family who contributed it. Also value to communities. Um, this photograph here in the top, the modern photograph, is of a uh, memorial, 2000 and um, commemoration service in 2008 to mark the 90th um, anniversary of the end of the war. And what the parish, local parish has done is they've found family relating to everybody on the war memorial in that parish. And they found family relating to everybody bar one person. And they found information relating to this person in the Great War Archive. And they managed to get put in contact with the family through the Great War Archive, who also contributed some more stuff to the Great War Archive to build up a picture of that community. And it was used in an exhibition that was read out by the local MP at the service. Um, a very nice story here. Um, this is George Cavan. It was actually contributed online by a contributor in Australia. And the story behind it is he was um, training up in Scotland when the call came to go to the front. He didn't have time to say goodbye to his family, but the train went through the town where his family lived. And he wrote a message on a piece of notepaper, put it in a matchbox, and threw it out the window at, at the station when the train went through the station. Someone picked it up and delivered it to his wife, and he was killed a few weeks later um, over in France. Not now, thank you. Right. Um, a very moving story, and it's made the press because it, you know, it's one of those hooks that the press really like. But what was really interesting about it was once we put this story online and it got a bit of publicity, the story started to build. We um, wrote about it on a blog. We had an editor's pick blog. 
and somebody who was researching their relative, George Cavan, who didn't know they had relatives in Australia, came across this blog and um, they, they wrote a comment on it and we put them in touch and they, they shared more information about their family. Um, both sets of families contributed more material to the archive, so they're photographs that they hadn't had before, each other hadn't seen before, objects. Um, just before Christmas, and this was put online a few years ago, and just before Christmas, I had an email from someone at a boating club, bowling club in Carluc, saying they're researching the um, history of uh, people who were at the bowling club during the First World War, of which George Cavan was a member, and they'd found the stuff in the archive, and they contributed this photograph of the bowling club, and he sat there on the roof somewhere, I believe. Um, and now we've got such a complete story that it's actually going into a book that's going to be published by the British Library in a few months' time. Um, on a wider level, on an educational level, community collections can be really great for engaging more at risk and um, hard-to-reach communities. We've done a lot of work with schools whereby we ask them to go home and talk to their parents and their grandparents about their, their, their family history of the First World War and get them to bring in objects. And they come in and we interview them about them, talk to them about them, get them to think about what it means. And then they write down their stories and they contribute those to the archive. Um, sometimes we work with very... Um, more, with much smaller sub-communities. We're currently doing a project with a charity in London called Age Exchange UK and they're a reminiscence theatre charity. So they work with older people um, with objects and memories to create theatre productions and other arts outputs. And they've been holding um, some of our First World War community roadshows. It's very different from those pictures that I showed you whereby people have to book an appointment to come. So they'll come and they'll tell their story over an hour, maybe two hours, and it'll be transcribed word for word and recorded. So it's a very in-depth oral history. And these are the people whose fathers went to war. So it's, that's the last generation that, that their story is going to be lost soon. Um, they've worked with um, very, at, uh, very poor London boroughs and also very specific communities. So this gentleman here was from um, an event we ran for Jewish history of the First World War. And what was interesting about that event was they all came in because they really wanted to contribute online. They couldn't really use computers, they hadn't used the internet, but they wanted the world to know the stories of their fathers. And um, six of the older contributors actually became so heartened that people were listening to their stories that they volunteered for the projects and are now going into schools and talking to children about their father's stories and intergenerational workshops that are proving very popular. And of course all this material, nearly 80,000 objects, is, is, it just provides rich pickings for educational materials, um, school projects, uh, classroom talks. Um, Everything in Europeana is released under a Creative Commons by license, so it can be used for non-commercial and commercial um, use with attribution. We ran a project here in Oxford a couple of years ago, which was, which was blending these resources together to create new educational resources um, to challenge some of the myths of the First World War. Um, World War I centenary continuations and beginnings, which me and Pat worked on. He was the technical mastermind behind that. 
Um, and an example of one of the resources is down here at the bottom, very simple, but one of our most um, accessed resources actually, where people have found photographs in Europeana and other open collections such as um, Wikimedia and put them on a map to show the different terrains of the First World War. It wasn't all fought in a, fret, in a trench in France or Belgium. There was the war in the desert, the war in the mountains, the war at sea, for example. So just by instantly looking at this map and interacting with it, you can see the global impact and the global spread of the war. We've worked with Wikipedia to move the resources um, into um, Wikipedia articles as well. It's one of the most accessed pages, First World War page on Wikipedia. So you want to make sure it has good material in it and it's accurate. And we've, worked, we've brought together communities with academics to enhance those articles. And research, of course, research is really important. And this page really sort of highlights it for me, actually. Um, I'm quite interested in prisoners of war of the First World War, just, just randomly. And if I type in the, the search term prisoners of war into Europeana, I, can, I suddenly get stories from across Europe. The Oxford Community Collection works by basing itself in very specific communities. So we may be collecting histories from people who live in a town or people from a specific community. But as soon as you put them online, they become part of the global, um, the global academic themes of the First World War. And it really is, is the fruit of um, research that can challenge misconceptions. Um, it's difficult to analyse the actual academic impact of this yet because the publications haven't come out. We have to watch. But from stuff like the Great War Archive, we get, we get an email at least once a week telling us that it's been used in some form of publication. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Europeana 14 to 18. Right, so that's our case study. And just quickly, if you want to do something similar, what you need is an idea to do a crowdsourcing project which has some kind of community collection element. You need a community with content. That content doesn't have to be physical artifacts. It can be oral histories. It can be stories. But something to contribute to an archive. You need some staff and resources. And that all depends on how big you want your project to be. We ran the Great War Archive with three people over 12 weeks. And we developed an archive of 6,500 items possible. You need some kind of website and community collection software. Um, we've developed our own. It's called Runcoco. It's uh, free. It's open source. Um, but that's just one. We also work with tools like Mecca. Um, and there are a few others out there. We've, we've set up community collections on photo sharing sites like Flickr, for example. Um, so depending on your objectives and what you want to do with the data, there's, there's different options available to, them, to you. And you could probably do with some support, and that's where our website comes in. We have lots of free training resources that you can download. Um, we have sort of guides to digitization, if you wanted to do some kind of like train volunteers in doing digitization. Um, we have a report called the ABC of crowdsourcing community collection, what works, what doesn't. And we do offer training. Um, most of our training is done for funded projects, so people would write us into their funding application to do that. But it's very specific and it's tailored towards what you want to do. And our most popular training is on running these roadshow events and then get how to get all the stuff online after that. For example, this is kind of 
in a training workshop, this is the workflow of the collection day. So we would talk about each one of these stations and what happens, and there'd be checklists and everything is covered. And we also give quite a lot of advice on how to engage communities in the first place. How do you actually get them to contribute their content? It's very much about two-way engagement. You can't just expect to take. You've got to give something back as well. And I know Catherine mentioned about you know, what makes the community uh, crowdsourcing successful, I think it's that feeling that the crowd gets something back, they get some value from it. Okay, um, as I said, I'm part of a wider team called the Education Enhancement Team. Um, we also run a social media advisory service to people in the university. So if you're looking more generally at using digital technologies and social media for public engagement, outreach, impact, um, do get in touch with us. We have a website um, called Engage, which you can go to, and it has a guide to getting started with digital technologies for um, PE and KE on there. And we are running our first free crowdsourcing community collections workshop this Friday. We hope to do this every term. It's, I think there's a few places left uh, Friday morning. And it's really an overview of the Oxford Community Collection model, what you need to get started and where to go to for more help, but also some hands-on practical activities, trying out some different pieces of software. Um, so go to the website. There are some postcards at the back there if you want to take one away with you. We're quite active on Twitter. Um, there's about three or four of us behind that email address there. So if you email that, you'll be able to get a response from any of us.